Welcome, everyone, to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good. Do you know that today is uh, Satoshi's 46th birthday? How do we know what his birthday is? Uh, he listed on Bitcoin.org um, a birth date, and it was... Ah. Uh, it wasn't the date of uh, Act sixty one hundred two where gold was confiscated or had to be turned in, um, but it was the sa- it wasn't the exact same date of like the act, but it was uh, forty two years ago on this day, which is the day of the act. Yes, cool. So happy t- birthday, Satoshi! Yeah, happy forty second birthday, Satoshi, and uh, the eighty eighth uh, anniversary of uh, the sixty one hundred two. 6102 um act which banned people people from owning gold and, yeah it was uh it was you had to go turn in your gold and all gold that was That's held in like private ridiculous. vaulting was That's converted so at a set at a set rate yeah well dude roosevelt right there it's crazy he was yeah. celebrated in school you know but that sort of stuff that he did mm-hmm. right yeah and like he's still pretty, he's very celebrated by the left, right? Like the whole Green New Deal is a celebration of Roosevelt, isn't it? Yep. Interesting. Interesting. Shows why Bitcoiners are nervous about the left. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I think everyone's, everyone, well, everyone should be nervous about both sides. Like both the right and the left are just weird right now and not, not on the money. Very not on the money. I, I agree there. <laughs> big truth. Big truth. <laughs> All right. Uh, what are we going to talk about first? Well, wait. T- tell me about your bullish sentiment because it's always good to uh, okay. talk bullishness. And this was your uh, post from Bankless. Today is the, is is Monday, April 5th, by the way. You, y'all be listening to this a couple of days later. Yeah, so I wrote this piece. To, I, every Monday, Market Monday, is the time to talk about the market in Bankless. So I wrote this piece titled, Crypto is About to Melt Faces. Uh, and I just ran through the list of things that are bullish, right? So last week, we had the Visa announcement that is using Ethereum to settle USDC. Goldman Sachs is scrambling to enable Bitcoin offerings to its customers in an attempt to like uh, match Morgan Stanley's Bitcoin fund. So now Goldman Sachs has got to do something. Um, it's also a, we have a historically high quarter for venture funding into crypto. Uh, the kimchi premium is back. So on BitThumb uh, or BitHum or whatever, um, uh, the Bitcoin is valued 16% higher than the US dollar markets uh, in two weeks. Coin, Coinbase's token or not token, equity will be listed on the NASDAQ. Um, and let's see, what's up? Uh, Bitcoin ETF, gotta be soon. It's gotta be around the corner. Gotta be well, a you, couple months. You didn't even mention... Uh, in a desperate move to uh, to get the premium of GPTC back at least up to NAV, um, mm-hmm. Barry is now uh, offering to move GPTC into an ETF as well mm-hmm. as um, lower management fees. So pretty much what's happening is now with all of this competition against GPTC's grayscale trust, um, the grayscale, um, the grayscale shares are trading under the value of the actual collateral that they represent, um, mm-hmm. and that is bad for a lot of people, like That's BlockFi, like big traders, um, you know, people that you know are in that trade, people that are holding those shares, right. and now they're down sixteen percent on the underlying value. So, um, 
Barry's trying to fix that. And he's now submitting what is like the sixth or seventh, you know, ETF proposal. And this one is to convert GBTC into uh, GBTC as an ETF. Right, which makes sense. Uh, and we we had a Hester Pierce, or excuse me, Purse on Bankless Podcast last week. Um, and she was like, I don't know why we haven't approved an ETF. Like we should have, like the market's ready for it. Uh, and so, you know, SEC commissioner saying that the market's ready for an ETF and there's plenty of viable ETFs like ready to be stamped and, and approved. It's gotta be soon. Um, yeah. That's gonna pump the market. Um, the other remaining bullish things I had are... are uh, the the um we have eip 1559 in july and then we also have the the merge being proposed to uh come in 20 at the end of 2021 which there seems to be all the ethereum core developers like yeah we we could do that that would be a, an okay thing to do uh which means that we wait, can so, prove a stake in 2021 okay wait so yeah w- walk me through this so in july eip 1559 which mm-hmm. changes the incentive structure and the fee structure of ethereum happens yes. or is scheduled to happen and yes. then at the end of the year there's going to be proof of stake takeover is that what you're saying that, that's what's being pro- that's bit what is being proposed and tossed around among the ethereum uh, core devs all right how confident do you feel on both of those timelines i think that the latter uh, one is definitely aggressive the latter one's a little aggressive the july eip 1559 hard fork is happening that is happening in july what are the chances of some big issue related to that i'm not qualified to answer that question I don't know. Okay. So yeah, so so that that's happening in July, and then if all the core devs approve the acceleration of the merge, then in theory that could happen by the end of 2021. I don't know what the dependencies are of the merge. Uh, I don't know if it's just like we'll just agree to do it and then we'll do it. I'm assuming it's more complicated than that. Um, well, let's do it. Like you gotta uh, be a little bit more explicit here. There's some dumb, you know, Bitcoiners listening to this. Right. So what this means is that uh, the beacon chain, which is the proof of stake chain that's alive and it's got the heartbeat, the skeleton of ETH2, of Ethereum 2, we will use that to secure Ethereum 1. And that what that means is Ethereum 1 is just being like can initialized into the beacon chain. And so the beacon chain is, is now validating the transactions on Ethereum 1 instead of the proof of work system. And so this is the, this is what we call the merge where we shed proof of work and replace the security with proof of stake. So what what's the deal with uh, Ethereum issuance right now? Is it being issued on both chains simultaneously? Yes. And yes. what happens yeah. when there's this this merge? The the new issuance on the beacon chain becomes fungible with the current ether on the current chain. And then the new issuance coming out of proof of stake turns into the only issuance and we stop issuing ether to pay for proof of work. So this is a hundred percent like bye-bye proof of work. We're turning this off yes. by the end of the year, potentially. If potentially, if this proposal goes through and then gets executed, yes, no more proof okay. of work by the end of the year. So let's talk about, let's talk about the current state. So right now mm-hmm. ether is, is ether is being issued on both the proof of works uh, chain and the proof of stake chain and mm-hmm. but that's not fungible right like those right they're, tokens they're are technically right. they're yeah they're in separate you ecosystems. can't even you can't even move the ether on the beacon chain 
So it's really just beacon chain ether that just exists and it's waiting on the beacon chain, waiting for the Ethereum one chain to get merged and then for stake to be unlocked. Um, do you know what the inflation rate is right now? The total inflation rate of both systems? Yeah. Yeah, something Yeah, something like 4.7%. Let me go to ETH hub. Is there, so on ETHUB, there's a metric that shows both combined or just shows both separate? Uh, there, there shows a projection of both combined during this one um, like time period. Ethereum roadmap. Uh, there's a link into the chat when you find it. Uh, yeah, when I find it. The ETHUB site is not necessarily the easiest to uh, navigate. Hey, if it's a if it's a side project, it's, it's gonna be just like a bunch of links. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, they they did it. They did a pretty good job filling this out, but they just never really took it to the finish line. Okay, here it is. The bull market came too fast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Right. So there's this there the uh, the orange line is the issuance rate, and that's the jagged, unpredictable line that Bitcoiners like to to point at for the Ethereum's monetary policy. Except they'll always forget that it goes down all the fucking time. Uh, and then there's this one little blip that goes up a tiny little a tiny little amount where we are issuing an extra little share of the percentage of total supply. And so right now we are at like three six like yeah like four point seven percent. Uh, and then, and then it just drops off the cliff and goes down to very, very little. So when this ships, and this is projecting mm-hmm. it shipping in January, so this is assuming the that timeline. But when mm-hmm. this ships, it will theoretically drop down to a very low amount. But yeah, I, mean, I mean, that's when, is it more than that being issued by the Beacon Chain right now? Um, no, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, launch, launchpad.ethereum.org. The uh, there is three three point seven million ETH with earning eight percent, and so three point seven million times point oh eight. Uh, how do I do math? Is it going to take me a second to do this? Point oh eight times point oh eight. So three hundred thousand ether is a year is being issued to secure the beacon chain, which represents points to two and a half percent. That doesn't make any sense. I don't, I'm I shouldn't All be right. doing this math. Yeah. So yeah. Whatever. Um, the interesting thing here, though, is like okay, yeah, it's going down, but it's pretty clearly not doesn't look like bitcoins bitcoins is step step function it's like a it's programmatic it's a programmatic monetary Uh policy where like this is um you know you can see the difficulty bombs like yep these like readjustments all this like tinkering and it'll all be in the rear view mirror i mean we'll see um part of this is like kind of something i want to talk about is like what are the properties of money right because you know, you're pushing this ultrasound money meme. You're trying mm-hmm. to get memers to meme it um, yep. and, and make ultrasound money swag. But like, yep. what is like, what are the properties of sound money, right? I mean, I think at least the way that Bitcoiners define it, which is like slightly different how I guess you're using the terminology is like predictability. So mm-hmm. there isn't really like 
if you look at this chart right now on ethub we should just like share it for the video listeners but we're not um i can't it's pretty clearly you know not a very predictable chart yes however ethereum what ethereum has traded is short-term unpredictability for long-term predictability while bitcoin has traded for short-term predictability but it doesn't have long-term predictability. So that nice, elegant curve of Bitcoin uh, monetary policy, that's great until let's, what, what's the, what's the, the Turkey fallacy? Turkey fallacy, this chart, that chart. No. <laughs> Oops, that's, that's perhaps the, the Bitcoin like monetary policy. Like where, because you've traded away, because you can predict it in the short term, you forgot about being able to predict it in the long term. So, and so, how, how, so how is the, Ethereum how is Ethereum predictable in the long term? Because there's been very many cases where Ethereum has continued to act unpredictable into the future. So, where's any precedent that you're actually predictable in the long term? Right. And I, don't, so like, are, I really don't think the Turkey fallacy makes any sense for Bitcoin. Can you explain a scenario where the Turkey fallacy works? Because the Turkey fallacy is like Turkey's getting fat, it's happy, all of these mm-hmm. things, but little doesn't know that it's in a Turkey factory and it's going to get chopped. But Bitcoin's not in a Turkey factory. Bitcoin's mm-hmm. taking over the world. Bitcoin is the like turning into the ultimate asset. So like that's not quite the situation where like right. it's it's hostage, it's blindfolded, it's like thinks it's happily moving along. Like Ethereum's will talk about like the block the block reward is going to um, you know be Bitcoin's undoing, but there isn't really any precedent to show that. Right, because there isn't any precedent because we've never seen Bitcoin tested without block rewards because all the block rewards happen at the very start, right? And so all Ethereum's like chaos with developers and tinkering and all of that stuff that, that Bitcoiners are pointing at, we've, we've, we took care of that in the early lifespan of Ethereum where Bitcoiners have kicked it down the road and they're going to have to deal with it later because of the nature of the unsustainability of uh, security through fees. Like, and so so how, all, how all have that chaos you... that Ethereum has gone through, Bitcoiners, Bitcoin is going to have to go through at the end after it's already become integrated into the world's financial system. I mean, I, I think that all of, like that is unsubstantiated claims about how Bitcoin's going to play do- out. But but How beyond do you have that, any can you can you about like what Bitcoin is secured by fees if it's never been secured by fees before? That is also unsubstantiated. I mean, the the trend of fees is going exponentially up in terms of buying power as well as overall yeah. percentage of the block reward. Yeah. And it's it's again, it's not about buying power for non-Bitcoin things. It's about its its relationship with well, itself. Both. Yeah, both. Both are going up. And that's a definition that you defined and Ethereum's defined without any pointing to how there's any precedent for that being relevant. Okay, I, we, can't show, we can't show you precedent because it's about the future. This is okay. the same conversation. Okay, yeah, so uh, it's about so, a model we, that you made about yes. these things being important because proof of stake makes it better. It's, it's a that's model all that, you've said. that people at Princeton put together about the okay. economic viability of a public blockchain with that is just secured by fees. And then you know what came out of that research paper? EIP-1559. 
is the what came out of that. So like, hey, like here's a way to to get route around this problem. Use this mechanism instead. And Ethereum is like, oh, okay, that's good. We'll do that. Okay, then we can have sustainability. But Bitcoiners are just like, no, we'll just generate a narrative, and the narrative will work. I don't. It's not generating a narrative. <laughs> it's absolutely generating extreme. Narrative. No, proof of work is extremely useful. We know this. The a proof of work network that issues a money that is highly liquid is extremely useful. That's not a narrative. That's reality. It's the narrative is about how it works in the future. Because how what Bitcoin works, how today it works? Is it's, not it's, how it's it works. Extremely in the useful. No, it's going to continue to be how useful. Bitcoin no, works. Show me something years. that shows. That a, a, a proof of work network that enables energy producers to access energy demand from anywhere on earth is not extremely useful in the future. That's this is this is, you're already complete. We're completing subjects. That's a different issue. No, energy it, no, consumption, it, that, proof of work, blah, blah, blah. That's that's no, different. no, no, no. It, it's absolutely part of the conversation because you're asking how is how is Bitcoin sustainable? Bitcoin mm-hmm. opens up profitability opportunities that were not available before it. And proof of stake is not even playing for that game. Proof of right. stake is not playing for the, for the energy demand uh, or energy uh, buyer of last resort game. They're trying to get out of that game. So like what, what's going to get in the way of Bitcoin? Like that game is not going to stop being useful. Just Bitcoin having a massive footprint on the real world in, in terms of proof of work doesn't isn't necessarily a net add to the system in fact i would say it's a net negative well i would disagree i think this is incredibly needed the system needs an energy buyer of last resort i i heard got this comment that after vitalik did his brain dump in the r ethereum subreddit after our last uh podcast there was this comment in there that was something along the lines of like Proof of work is like when Netflix was mailing out DVDs because internet bandwidth wasn't good enough. So we had to do this like hybrid digital hybrid analog system where they just mailed DVDs. That's what proof of work is to me. Like it's this, it's this hybrid like stepping stone from like the old world into the new world. But what about if we were just in the new world? And that's what proof of stake is, is just digital only. And a proof of stake network can exist on the internet without any foot, footprint in the real world at all, which in my mind is extremely that's, bullish. No, that's completely incorrect. There's a huge footprint. All of if Ethereum to do anything, it takes computers that provide compute to the network. It is a right. physical network. Okay, right, but the computers already exist. We already have. I already have my my staking computer. It's my like Mac laptop right here. Okay, no, you you created the people create demand for those staking computers, you know, there's going to be specialized staking computers. Those staking computers are going to be in regions across the world that most likely have actually pretty high and expensive internet or uh, high and expensive uh, energy costs, because maybe those energy costs uh, are competing against a civilization. Maybe they're in an urban environment. So the physical network, it's the energy cost of of running a computer. Look, look, these these staking computers, maybe some of them will be on laptops. A lot of them are going to be on specialty servers, okay? And those specialty servers cost electricity. Those This stuff is not negligible for an entire global network that you're claiming to be decentralized. So the proof if of you're taking in, network won't so you can, consume electricity. <laughs> zero electricity. 
Yeah, basically yeah. An, uh, an undetectable amount of electricity. No, that's completely false. How many where does the computation come from? Yeah, where yeah, where does that computation come from? Yeah, it's only one computer at a time. That's the benefit of proof of stake is you have one computer doing the computation and then you have like three more checking that one person's work rather than a bajillion computers all over the planet just running through Sudoku puzzles. We're not talking about proof of stake versus proof of work. I'm talking about there are actual computers that are online all the time that are connected to the internet, connected to the uh-huh. grid, that are doing this one specific thing. You can't say that that doesn't take up resources. Have you taken into account how many resources those things take? How that compares? How about the regions where those computers are located? See, the reality is you haven't even thought about these things. You're just asking that it, proof of stake takes up no energy. It doesn't Look, take up any energy. That's the whole point. No. <laughs> That is a complete misnomer. You're saying that the consensus it, is secured not by electricity. The consensus is secured by stake. It's digital. But guess what? The network, there is a physical network run by computers. That yes. still takes up energy. The internet takes up energy. Yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I it's know. marginal. It's, yeah, so it's Bitcoin. undetectable. <laughs> and and Bitcoin is useful too because people need no, it's not. energy consumption. It's only useful because Bitcoin has value. When you say that, that Bitcoin's energy no, consumption is useful, it's because it's selling BTC. So it's only yeah. useful in the sense that BTC has value. Yeah. Well, guess what? Now people who had energy that either was a negative as in they had to flare it out or something, or they couldn't actually leverage an asset because there was no economic way to do it, have an economic way to do it by taking whatever Bitcoin will scrap at them, whether it's a small fee or whether it's a massive block award like right now. It, that is a byproduct it's, of the Bitcoin network, not a feature. Yeah. No, that's a great, it's a great byproduct. Sure. And it's we very, can, very powerful. Argue- we can argue and it's that, very, very real it's, and it's, it's extremely real. So yes. your models that project that Bitcoin's going to die, they're not taking these things into account. I did not even read this Princeton paper, so I'd like to read it. But I've heard of many, many academic models that have made some very strange assumptions, like your friend, Justin, who I uh, very clearly dismantled because even Vitalik <laughs> has 5x his projections. On your show, he said five billion. Vitalik is saying twenty-five billion. Justin has three X his projections came... because he actually talked to one miner. He already three X his projections. So I mean, if that doesn't show that he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about regarding okay, so he was, of work he was works, off by three X. That's not that. Much. That's not an no, order of magnitude. He talked to one miner and then three X his projections. He, was he did that not even do legitimate research. <laughs> no, he didn't even do research. He talked to one guy and he he 3X'd got that it. close and he. Did and he was doing napkin math and he was that close so you, all you he had to do was three exit that's not that's not far off at all okay vitalik already okay, five, from five billion dollars to 15 billion dollars okay that's nothing look, so no i'm saying that his admission after just a little bit of pushback from me shows how little he actually knew about it all it took was a little bit of pushback from not a minor and he and he already was taking his position back okay like let's take some like Critical thinking here, okay? This guy is supposed to be designing your entire system. Come on. I, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. Okay, it's ridiculous because you have nothing better to say. Yeah. 
It's because it, we're just we're just going back to the same argument that we had last time. It's about it's about the message. It's about the meaning behind how he was able to get to that number so quickly and easily, and then all of a sudden he was only like three x away. And like okay, like now now no, he's no, at fifteen he, billion dollars. Bitcoin is still himself. only secured by fifteen billion dollars. Why does no. that matter? Why does no, that matter no. at all? So no, no. What you're what you're you're taking it incorrectly. He did no research. I pushed on him. He did a little bit more research, took a couple more things into account, and 3X'd his number. Okay. What you're not he understanding still has is not done why, any research. Why he's confident in his what he's saying without doing any research is because it's plain obvious what he's saying. He doesn't need to do research because it's fucking obvious. So it was kind of hilarious your back and forth with Alex Gladstein uh, last week, uh, where he asked you mm-hmm. to show him an example of a proof of stake system that was actually right. equitable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Ethereum's proof of stake. That's what it is. Yeah. So it doesn't exist yet. Yes, you're correct. I mean, every time I ask you for evidence, you say it's this thing in our model for the future. Yes, <laughs> because humans are good at making models about the future. <laughs> we have that. I'm like a, you, you, you know, I'm pretty sure if you went back and you listened to like the Fed records, which are public from like back before 2008 and then after 2008, they talked about their models a lot. And then they These talked not, about how their models the were Fed. incorrect. This is not the Fed. No, it's, it's people not. making models. It's geniuses making models, in fact. Very highly accredited geniuses that went to Princeton and Harvard. Okay, all, I guess all, all models are destroyed, I guess. And like, we have no models to go off all, of. And we all never models ever are inherently models. wrong. All models oh, are sure. inherently wrong. At least they exist so we can use them for predictive things. You use them to try to help understand reality. Sure. They're only useful for their ability to help you better understand reality. Sure. They're predictive because they can help you understand reality, therefore hopefully help you predict, right? And we've modeled that Bitcoin security is unsustainable. We've Who's predicted we? this. Yeah. People, people, people that predict this. Same people that predict the Fed? That the, work the, at the uh, Fed? No, literally not the same people. Different people. Crypto economic researchers who care about these, these things and are qualified to make such statements. That at the end of Bitcoin's life cycle, it go, Bitcoin goes from producing like one block every 10 minutes to all of a sudden it's a, it's a dog-eat-dog world of miners who won't produce blocks unless there's miner extractable value in those blocks. So they're going to turn off their miners and wait for a valuable transaction to be broadcasted to the network. And then they're going to turn on their miners so that they can race to mine that transaction. And so Bitcoin blocks are going to go between one second and one month. That's what, that is the long-term model that is predicted for Bitcoin or maybe even longer than one month. There won't be any mine, blocks being mined unless there is actual transaction fees to pay for the network. And it's oh, not about transaction fees above zero. It's about transaction fees in relation to the previous history of transaction fees, the volume weighted like average of the last two weeks of transaction fees. And so it doesn't matter like what the buying power is of BTC or whatever. It's about the recent history of minor revenue and what is the- theoretically coming down the pipeline for future minor revenue. And all of that throws Bitcoin into a complete state of chaos because the game so, theory. Oh, can I ask out. you a question? So you, you guys sure. talk about game theory, but then you never describe the actual scenario. So in this scenario, what is Bitcoin's current state? Like what its role in the global financial system? I don't know. 
but um, I'm, I, it's been pumping probably. Okay. So if Bitcoin is really important in the current financial system, mm-hmm. do you like mm-hmm. think that there's going to be no transactions on the Bitcoin base layer? No, there will be. Okay. So the scenario is Bitcoin is expensive and important because people are storing their value in it. There are mm-hmm. transactions on the base layer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Keep telling me more about the scenario where, where right. Bitcoin is going to fail it's not because about of miners. Whether, it's not about whether or not there are transactions. It's about the, vol- the volatility in transactions. Okay. So do you study the Bitcoin mempool? No. Do you know what the mempool is? Yes. Yeah. So it's the, it's the, it's the backlog of pending transactions. Yep. Mm-hmm. So the mempool, I mean, it does clear, but it hasn't cleared really right now. So, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe that trend changes, but if you think about it, the mempool is kind of that, that is your, that is a signaling mechanism of future right. demand, right? I'm well, not, I'm not EFE saying that one, five, five, nine. I mean, like, so like right now, I mean, at least there's a lot of signaling that there's consistent long-term demand week, week over week. The mempool really doesn't clear. That's not what I'm saying. Right. So, not, I mean, but not, I'm trying to understand like, model. I mean, yeah. So your failure model is not based on how this thing actually works. Right. Cause like, I mean, I'm no, trying the, to understand like, so you're saying the failure is going to be clear the whole time, even though Bitcoin is. Important. No, I'm not saying that. The me- it's not about the pre- the presence of transaction fees or not. It's about the magnitude of volatility in transaction fees in relation to the issuance, which is stable, which in at maturity, Bitcoin won't have any. So one day there's X number of transaction fees. Yeah. And the next day there's 10X. 2140. The there's, there's 0.1X. And the magnitude and this, the speed of Bitcoin blocks are going to be a function of the magnitude of transaction fees. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So you're, you, what you're saying is like, there's gonna you're gonna wait for a big giant mempool to build up mm-hmm. before anyone takes any before anyone mines a block, and miners are gonna just hold the network hostage to that. But I mean, that means all the miners have to collude because all like the way the game theory works is that any miner can mine a block. Right. That's why blocks come in ten minutes because all the miners are competing to mine the blocks. Yes. So you're saying that things are changing now to a situation where miners are actually holding the network hostage and colluding to not mine blocks until well, there's say, a block of that. sufficient value. Well, they have to I, collude because, like, how do they? How do they? How do they uh, communicate what's an acceptable block fee amount? It's, uh, it's about the 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 game theory is about how. Because miners always will add more mining hash power up to the value of what they are receiving as revenue, there's always going to be ultimately at maturity, unless Bitcoin just keeps on pumping forever. And even at that point, it doesn't really matter. It, there's always going to be a, a ultimately a balance between a surplus and a deficit of hash power. And so it's minor, some miners will what get What do you mean a deficit? Because... I, I don't understand a scenario. Why are these miners coming offline? Like, what, what's their benefit? Because they're of not economically offline? viable. But a lot of these miners are placed in areas where they're already using fuel that is not being used we, anywhere else. Can we just do this with Justin Drake on? 
I mean, I'd be happy to have him on to, you know, dismantle his arguments with my just silly questions. Here's the thing is I'm not even an expert and I can like, I can break down these, these silly like models. I think, I think you think that I okay, don't bring think him on. you are actually doing that. Bring him on. I don't Please, think bring you, him on. I don't think you're doing the thing that you are, think you're doing. Okay. What else should we talk about? <laughs> I mean, let's, okay. Let's, I want to talk about ultrasound money because sure. Again, I, I really think that like the role of money is dependability, reliability, predictability. Like, mm-hmm. why should I believe that Ethereum is going to have a predictable monetary policy? And like, when, when, when do you think I should believe that? I think you would more believe that after. I don't, do, how long do you want to have? of a Lindy effect behind Ethereum's monetary policy. Only you can answer that question. But I can't well, I mean, you, if you wait if you wait 10 years, ether price is going to be really high. Okay, but here's the like here here's my pushback. Like you look at that chart. It's not like from a sound money perspective, it's it's about mm-hmm. like it truly is about like dependability of the monetary policy. Like you need to depend on it. Like mm-hmm. that chart although it is down, it it is like it it shows tinkering, right? So sure. right now that definition is not really met. So at what like when do you think the definition is going to be met? And then at what point do you think like it has like okay this is like approved like I can trust this because like you're saying trust it before it happened it's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Like I'm well, saying I'm like saying, I, I can't I'm do not that. saying trust it before it happens. I'm just saying that that's the alpha is that ether is ultrasound money and if you want to buy it before the rest of the world realizes it's ultrasound money you can buy it today. Where the, that's the narrative it's, it's already checked the box on a culture a sound money culture with which bitcoiners checked that box in 2017 with the defeat of bitcoin cash in my mind ethereum people checked that box i think in 2020 when we started to really just hit the hammer on the 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 value of ether being a sound money and so the the ethereum it's not culture, the same thing yes it's it is yes it is yes it is the same thing bitcoin it's, it's, cash it versus the like some people rallying around the narrative is not the same thing. Bitcoin Cash is a real it was a real stand up against, you know, corporate interests that were trying to change the network. Continuing on, uh, there the the sound money culture of Bitcoin won out in 2017 because of the small small blocks emphasize a store of value. Ethereum and mainly the the people like me, Eric Connor, Anthony, DC, Antipro, Ryan, like We've been hit, my hitting, hit, hitting the ether is sound is a money drum all throughout the bear market into 2020. And at some point, I would say sometime in 2020, that started to really just catch on probably with the ether's money meme. Um, and then that embedded a culture of sound money into the social contract around Ethereum, where we've checked that box. And now the Ethereum core devs, mainly Justin Drake and now Vitalik, are that are saying that the community wants ether to be money therefore it will be money and that is the first the first box that you need to check as a money is that the people believe it to be so now the way that it becomes money into ultrasound money is with eip 1559 and proof of stake and at that point so each ether becomes ultrasound money perhaps at the end of this year and then after that it's just lindy so hop on, find the right path in Ethereum's timeline where you want to hop on board and pick your, pick your point. But the longer you wait, the more likely, the more the higher Ether price is going to be. So 2021, maybe 2022, 
and mm-hmm. then just number go up straight up from there. Yeah, that's the plan. That's the plan. That's the plan. Man, I uh, I wonder what happens to plans when they meet reality. I think we will find out. Um, As it, have you never executed on a plan before? I mean, I have. Right. So the, there's always the a lot of curveballs. We're, we're going sure, and they can be dealt with. Like these miners who thought that they could get in the way of, of the transition to proof of stake and then, and then folded because they realized they had no power. That was a curveball and ended up going away. Man, that sounds like way different curveballs than Bitcoin's curveballs. It's yeah, just like Ethereum is such a different threat model and it's not even comparable. That's why when you say Ethereum is ultrasound money, it's like hilarious. It's like, do you even know what makes Bitcoin sound? <sighs> Yeah, you're talking about the the lack of tinkering. Is that what you're referencing? I mean, like even like the lack of uh, the lack of like uh, bullying between parties. Like the status quo is is the truth, versus like we are going to we are going to implement our control over the network because we are the community. Right. Like. Like, yeah, the uh, UASF was a lot of like Bitcoin full node operators say like, you know, we we decide, but ultimately like you could have not gone along with them and still been part of the network, still been part of consensus. Like there's a lot of companies that just said, you know, we're just going to run with the old Bitcoin for a long time. I think like blockchain.com put in Segway like last week, almost, (laughs) almost four and a half years later. So like, that's the difference in my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, the, and this is, to me, this is- You silly miners. To, to, as to whether or not these systems are protected by people or are they protected by math? And this is always the debate we've had. I think these systems are protected by people. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that there's a, a little physical network. Sure. That that's exists. By people. Yeah, well, it- individual actors that are contributing to the network it's like where do you want to zoom in you know do you want to do you want to see the whole picture do you want to be just like a small guy picking around like picking at like oh it's a person who's managing this node and is a part of the network like we could argue yeah. about that yeah i mean uh, what's there to argue about no i'm just I, there's a decentralized network like that that is in consensus and it's hard to coordinate those people right that's all but i'm saying the the, the emergent coordination of a mutually beneficial outcome is still possible in a decentralized fashion. And that's what Bitcoiners don't see about Ethereum. They, they don't see emergent coordination. They see top-down centralized decision-making and they, they don't wait any of the community guidance or community demand for the direction of the protocol. And that's their folly. That's their mistake. I mean, it's, I think it's just about framing. Like, really what's happening is there is a power mechanism that people that you either deem as true or not true uh, rally behind. And, you know, I spoke uh, and, and they exercise that power mechanism in a way that no one complains about. So that's, that's what you're saying. Like, Bitcoiners can frame that as, like, it's centralized. There's clearly an area for the protocol to be changed and mm-hmm. like coordinated around and then what you what you would argue is like no this is consensus emerging right 
So mm-hmm. um, it's really all about framing, right? And and what sure. your anticipation about the morality and future, um, you know, attack scenarios of of the network are going to be. Yeah, sure. I mean, Bitcoiners would frame it as like there's a centralization point where people there's can a centralization be point. that sure. where people quit that that where there's clear control of what defines Ethereum and the definition of Ethereum has shown to change whether people complain about it or not. As so, as soon as the Ethereum community gets what it wants, it's going the centralization aspect of Ethereum is going to be. And slowly eliminated from then on out because it's got what it wants. The Ethereum community allows for there to be centralization as a tool to achieve its desired goals, which is ultrasound money. Which is something that was decided upon last summer. Yeah. Well, no, it was named last summer. It was decided upon earlier than that. It just didn't have a name. Okay. And so I saw you put out a tweet about why Ethereum is ultrasound money because it's depreciate. It's, you know, it's a declining supply Mm -hmm. as well as uh, ultra secure, as well as uh, it's Mm -hmm. actually, uh, it it creates cash flow, right? Uh, uh, Sure. I think, do you know what tweet I'm referring to? You're like BTC is and not. um, Oh yeah. Uh Yeah. That was actually, that was actually, I straight, straight up stole that tweet from uh, Lucas who works at Bankless as a joke, but yeah, I do stand by that tweet. Yes. All right. Break it down. Cause I didn't do it justice clearly. Okay. Um, I said, hold on. Uh, BTC is a fixed supply, non-productive store of value. ETH is a deflationary productive store of value. One is sound money. The other is ultrasound money. So what does it being a productive asset make it money? Like, why is that? I don't know. I just, again, I just stole it from Lucas. It was mostly a joke. I wouldn't necessarily say the productive aspect of Ether is necessarily the part that makes it um, sound. It does make it extra scarce as capital and as uh, collateral in DeFi. Well, the idea there is that there's a, there's a, there's like a risk-free rate associated with Ethereum because of staking. Mm-hmm. And that and that is a, a baseline of demand. Yeah, I wouldn't. But I wouldn't. Actually, we're seeing that emerge in Bitcoin, anyways. I wouldn't necessarily part, uh, make that a part of uh, the ultrasound money thesis. The ultra the ultrasound money thesis is that the the uh, deflation is a reduction of supply. So it's strictly deflation. It's, it has nothing else to do with like the aspect of the properties of Ethereum. The triple point either. asset. Yeah, no, that's, that's all the triple point asset. The ultrasound money is, I, I believe I would, I, I need to think about that a little bit more, but I'm pretty sure it's just a deflation. I mean, I would just push back and say that when Bitcoiners say sound money, they don't mean the same thing that you're being when you say that. Yeah, are you, are you talking about the, the deflationary aspect? Well, it's not, it's not, it's just not even, it's, like Bitcoiners would say the fixed supply is ideal because it's known and at mm-hmm. least a known supply would be better than like a unknown, unknown theoretically deflationary supply. Mm-hmm. Well, and so- the reason I say theoretically is because you would, you would admit that it under ideal conditions and using game theory, Ethereum has a deflationary supply, but there mm-hmm. are conditions where it doesn't, right? There are conditions where, it can be inflationary, right? Right. Yeah, because the priority is to secure Ethereum, not to yeah. produce sound money. Yeah. Ba- based on the, what I would say is the fallacy that Bitcoin is not secure. Sure. Well, the proof of the work is not secure. 
Sure. Um, the fallacy of the fallacy. Um, <laughs> Our second uh, fallacy is here, baby. <laughs> it's fallacies all the way down. Um, so the Gresham's law is that people that people flee from bad money into good money, or they they flee from money that is depreciating versus another money, right? And so, so in, specifically, in, Gresham's law is in the face of of uh, legal tender laws. So I mean, it's questionable whether Gresham actually was referring to generally speaking in the market or okay so it, here's it, david's law just, yeah okay, here's david's me. law people flee from money that is losing value into monies that are gaining in value just in relative to each other and so if bitcoin is holding flat yet ether is depreciating the flow will go from bitcoin to ether over the long term but Ether going down in supply doesn't necessarily make it a valuable store of value. Not necessarily. You're right. But I mean, it will do that anyways for other reasons. I mean, so you're saying holistically with the deflation, but mm-hmm. just because it's deflating doesn't. So can you can you tell me more why right, so- like deflation plus other things make it a store of value? Because I'm still trying, like, I, I, from my understanding, I just cannot agree with Ether is even more sound money than Bitcoin, right? So convince so, me of that, please. All of these fees that people are like disgruntlingly paying goes into the value of Ether holders who aren't paying those fees, right? And so the how many how many millions of dollars is being paid for Ether fees as of this moment? Let me find out. Cryptofees.info. Thanks, David Mihal. Twenty eight eighteen million dollars today is 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 paid in ether fees and under EIP 1559 that 18 million dollars gets deleted from the supply which means that that gets uh, in the same in the same way that bitcoiners are like well when we issue coin we're actually just borrowing money from the rest of the, of the supply this is doing the same thing in reverse it's literally uh, the opposite of issuance instead of inflation it's deflation and so the value of all these fees that are generated go into it's consumption. Metaphor. It's consuming the ether when you transact yes. on chain. Yes. And so the value what, of that what if people stop transacting on chain? What if? Yeah, that that would that would make ether inflationary. I mean, because you're you're saying that people are going to stop transacting on chain with Bitcoin, or at least that it's not going to be enough to incentivize miners to mine. I'm just kind of curious if a weird incentive that's, like that happens with that's Ethereum. That's not what I said. The Bitcoin blockchain will have transactions being paid to it throughout its lifespan all the time. That's not the failure mode. I was it's just numbers that are going to be wrong number. It's going to be unstable. Why? Because of the volatility and fees. I think the fees the vol- are going to be consistent. I don't think they will be. Okay. Um, Okay, wait, we're, we're talking about Ethereum. So explain to me yeah. how it's sound money. You're saying sound money? The, yeah, so you're saying that the, the fees are going to burn, it's going to deflate mm-hmm. the supply. Right. But I would argue that a big part of something being money is liquidity through distribution. Sure. And right? it's got that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this, not only, this, this destroys distribution because it, it sucks up fees. It sucks up supply. It doesn't destroy distribution. It doesn't change it at all. I mean, proof of stake itself ends kind of like ends a distribution mechanism that proof of work is. Mm. 
Now, yeah, that but, that is a, it does not it's not a distribution mechanism. So that's right, but it stops like how how many billions of dollars it stops what Bitcoin seven day average of five billion uh five million dollars excuse me of fees it stops that sell pressure on the secondary market and so it just deletes that sell pressure and so no it's not a distribution mechanism it's a security mechanism and that security mechanism makes ETH go up in value. And then people buy it because they realize this and then ether gets distributed <laughs> because people bought it <laughs> because it's ultra sound money. Yeah. I mean, maybe ether is distributed enough. I don't know. I mean, it's like all of these things exist in the wake of Bitcoin. So you're saying that, okay, the ether supply going down is going to be enough to take over Bitcoin's liquidity advantage because that's part of the formula of something like taking the place of like the global reserve currency, maybe there could be other things that could compete as like, let's just call it a sound money. Um, but ultimately your eye is on like ether is going to be the denominator, right? Ether is going to be the best money of the world. And everyone is going to, is going to flock to it eventually because it has the best properties. Right. So, yes. I mean, at what, like, can you talk to me about like, at what point does Ether actually overtake Bitcoin's kind of like global liquidity? Because I think that one of the big bottlenecks to that is the fact that, you know, you like Ether's advantage is on its own chain, right? So like Ether's chain itself actually has to scale, whereas like Bitcoin, it only has to scale to on-chain transactions. And as long as it can continue to multiply and decentralize further, and ensure that the ledger is sound like that's all the scaling that actually needs to happen on the bitcoin network so it's it's a slightly different by orders of magnitudes uh you know network scaling kind of challenge well any vehicle that bitcoin has to scale ethereum also has that same exact vehicle but that's not where ethereum's advantage is ethereum's advantage is strictly on chain yeah Mm-hmm. But like, but just because Bitcoin has has the centralized institution scale model doesn't mean that Ethereum doesn't also have that. Yeah, but Bitcoin is already dominant there. Why would someone use Ethereum if they're not going to tap into Ethereum's benefits? Because Ethereum does have the benefits, regardless of whether you transact on chain or not. I mean, you in terms of the decreasing supply, so that's the one. But its other benefits are tapping into this permissionless marketplace, right? Yeah, to some degree, yeah, uh-huh. and that, that's where like the role of, the role of rollups comes in, where like all of the the very strong demand to transact on L one, where the fees are super high, can that that can just be made by different rollup providers doing the whole sh- like shipping container analogy. Like so, ultimately, at the end of the day, the, in 30, 50, 100 years, Ethereum, the L one, no one might touch that directly the only people that might touch it are rollup providers who are transacting on l1 on behalf of their users so what if that what if that creates inflation no what why would it create inflation because there's no fee there's no fee pressure no no people well if there are if there are cheap fees, all people will just use the main chain why if all the infrastructure is up chain right like you're talking about like you're talking about these disaster scenarios for bitcoin but like don't these disaster scenarios kind of exist on ethereum no because of vip1559 is the mitigator of bitcoin's disaster scenarios and proof of stake well, 
and constant I mean, issuance. Kind of. I mean, so it doesn't guarantee that there's going to be low inflation or uh, or no deflation or deflation. It doesn't guarantee that. It just all no, it does is that it's a mechanism anything. based on what's happening. Yes. And that mechanism has the optionality of going inflationary. Yes. If there's if there's no demand for Ethereum, then yes, Ether inflates. Just like if there's no demand for any economy, the currency inflates. Well, issuance creates inflation. Issuance creates. Never mind. Never mind. I, mean, I feel like we're we're going back and forth here. Um, yeah. I mean, we've we, been we going for a little got, bit over an it. hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should wrap it you up. Got so I, gotta, I gotta get somewhere somewhere to go. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. All right. Say say hi to the person for me. Um, <laughs> yeah, where, where can people find you? Uh, you got, y'all can follow me at, wow, I just said y'all. Uh, Trustless State, both on Twitter and on Bankless Christian. Y'all's great, man. What are you talking about? Um, you guys <laughs> can find me at CK underscore Snarks and uh, at Bitcoin Magazine and at the Bitcoin 2021 conference with pretty much everyone else in the crypto and Bitcoin community. So uh, Miami, June 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Go to b.tc forward slash conference. Get your ticket ASAP. Um, and uh, maybe maybe David and Ryan will be there. But um, at least Ryan everyone will from the not block be there. Will. Ryan will not be there. I might be there. <laughs> you, you should go. Tell, tell Ryan that, that he shouldn't be scared. Ryan doesn't even go to Ethereum conferences. He's not going to a Bitcoin conference. All right. All right. Well, I take back the invite, Ryan. Peace. <laughs> Will you?